Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, founder of Long in the Tooth Podcast. Most dentists fail to plan ahead for the sale of their practice, which costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars and burdens the ones they love with uncertainty about the future. So every Friday on Long in the Tooth, we share non-clinical insights from dental industry experts to help practice owners prepare for the sale of their practice today so they maximize profitability and peace of mind in the future. For all the hard work you put into building a practice, we believe that you, your family, and your staff deserve to transition after the sale into an even richer and more rewarding season of life. I'm Marie Chatterley here. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are joined with Bill Rossi, who is our practice management consultant and expert in transitioning off of dental insurance PPO participation. We are discussing now the process of dropping insurance. Bill, hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So we this next, what kind of the timeline is for changing your insurance participation within a practice? Yeah, it is a process. Um, usually, you know, for example, once you decide it's feasible that you have to give the insurance companies a couple months notice, which is good. It gives you time to get your ducks in a row. And then the actual transition process takes about eight months to work through the system, a recall cycle and some, and then you're usually out of the woods by that. Uh, but it, it is a process I purposely slow down. Uh, Marie, you know, for us and the people that are listening, dentistry is 200 clicks a year, you know, about 200 days a year or more. For the average patient, dentistry is two clicks. And there's a tendency when uh, doctors leave PPOs to try to just rush things. Just, we got to deal with everything today. And most patients uh, aren't getting up every morning wondering about the dentist PPO participation. So a lot of what I do is slow down the process um, because that also slows down any patient attrition and gives the practice time to make it through the process. And so it takes about eight months. Yeah, about. So eight months as far as initially, but does it take sometimes longer if you're dropping some one year and some another year? Yeah, of course. yes. I was thinking per one, yes. So uh, what my clients will do is they'll drop one and then maybe six months or three months into it, we had a client mutually that we did. They drop the next one and the next one. And so they have time to deal with it each time until they're at the balance point they want to be with their fees. We used to balance fee. Now you balance PPO participation. Yeah. And then, so the idea is I, I, I've had clients and you probably know one where I've done the analysis and said, you're good to go. Let's do one at a time. And the doctor says, no, I'm hitting them all and just dropped them all at once. I don't usually recommend that. Uh, but it worked out fine for that doctor, but usually it takes about eight months. And, well, yeah. I advice previously in our last uh, segment, you mentioned that sometimes you do a smaller plan to kind of use as a guinea pig where everybody's learning. Yes. Yeah. Doctor, you're getting a feel for how you're going to talk to patients, how you're going to make this transition happen. And then once you see how that worked and was successful, you feel the confidence now to do more. And maybe for some people, they do say, hey, I'm confident now, let's just do all of them. But others say, no, let's go ahead and do this strategically. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. How would you say that, you know, involving the staff, you mentioned a client that just dropped everything without talking to staff. So can you share with us how he taught, he talked to the staff, we had that part. But he just decided not to do one at a time. Oh, I see. Okay, but uh, yeah, uh, you 
you're talking about evolving the staff in the process, right? Yeah. yeah that's so, so, you know, again, if you go back, management's really changed since, I mean, again, I've done this since 1980. I used to meet with a doctor. We'd make the decisions, just go out and tell the team, here's what's going to go on. I mean, that, that doesn't work anymore. And when doctors are considering dropping a Delta or a PPO or Delta BPO or something, <laughs> anyway, uh, the staff are the ones that are afraid because they're the ones that are worried they're going to lose hours. Like your hygienist might be worried about that. Or the people up front are going to be worried uh, that they're going to have uncomfortable confrontations with patients. People will get mad at them. They have a lot of anxiety. And you can't just say, well, I made the decision. They have to be involved. In fact, in my process, I involve them in the feasibility step, which we discussed before, the feasibility and preparation step. So the staff is seen with their own eyes and brains, the logic, and then they have a lot more confidence in the process. And they understand that uh, they're going to be okay. But they definitely have to get involved. You can't do this without the staff involvement. And so you have to have a stable staff. If a doctor says, I have no faith in my administrator staff, and my hygienists are driving me up a wall. I go, well, call me when things settle down because I don't want too many variables. We need a team that's together. Yes. Yeah, and I have seen that uh, the feedback I've received so far is for the most part, I think the staff members are more on board than even the doctor in most situations or they're more excited about it. Once yeah, they yeah, you can see that. Phase of it. They can see how, uh, yeah. you know, especially with the front office, I think learning how to dialogue correctly with patients is, the key to reducing the anxiety for them. But once that part is resolved, there's a lot of things that are going to be easier for them with, you know, working with insurance and billing and whatnot, as opposed to what it was like when they were participating with a bunch of insurance plans. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you get to a point, doctor, where you just can't pedal the bike any faster, you change the gears on the bike and uh, the staff might feel the same way. One of the things that happens, if you got a lot of discount plans, you can find yourself trying to go faster and faster for less and less. And so you can inadvertently sort of feel like you're creating exactly the kind of atmosphere. Well, and the reason people like you is because you're on their insurance plan, because you're otherwise just not being yourself. You're running too hectically. And most staff people are tuned in on the message that they don't want to just be a mill. They don't want to have the feel of, a, you know, like a corporate dental you take all the insurance, but everyone's a number kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, um, I forgot the question. I was just thinking about the staff part. No, well, that um, is my question is, are there certain things that you can share with us that would be important for the front office to consider when it comes to dialoguing with patients that would make them feel a little bit better about that part of the anxiety? Yeah, there is a... The danger here, Marie, you know, I get this all the time. Uh, I'm ticked off. I'm going to drop Delta. Can you send my staff a script? And I, I sometimes wish I could. Um, save me some trouble and work. But if I sent you a script to Seinfeld or friends, do you think you'd laugh, Marie? Yeah. You don't. If you get a script, if someone gets a script and they don't understand the feeling behind it, it doesn't work. Believe me, I tried. So there's a danger if I go into some of the language and people go, well, I've got the script and just say the front, just say this. So I'm gun shy about saying this, but I will give you some guidelines. We used to, when um, offices dropped insurance, we took a stance of, 
the insurance isn't being fair, uh, they're unreasonable, we're kind of mad at the insurance, we'll grudgingly work with your insurance, but we're not happy about it kind of vibe. Like the patient's fault is that they have a stinky insurance plan. And, and so it was negative. It was righteous. In fact, I, I do that a lot. You don't want to be righteous. You don't want to be negative. You don't want to be on your high horse. You don't want to be elitist. You don't want to be, oh gosh, our expenses are up for us because it doesn't work. Believe me, I learned that 19 years ago. Okay, so you don't do it. So if you ask about the message, the message is positive. Like Marie, you're lucky to have insurance. It helps. Does insurance cover everything? Well, no insurance covers 100% of everything, Joe, but it can certainly help. You're lucky to have it. We take that kind of tack and work it through everything. And uh, one of our mutual clients said that positivity was what really made the medicine go down. So the short answer on that is you have to keep it positive. I'm not going to give any more scripts out because otherwise I'll send their scripts. But it's a vibe. It's a thought. People use their own language. But if they have the right view of what the insurance is about, they're not afraid. They converse better with patients. And that's genuine. They feel it. Now, here's some pitch my consultant told me to repair it. Doesn't work. Right. It, it feels more sincere in the delivery. Well, it is more sincere because they've actually thought it through. And they own the message. Um, yeah, that's okay. We touched on this previously a little bit about attrition. And like I vocalized, I have yet to have a client of mine relay that the attrition was significant enough that it impacted their income at all in a negative way that their income. Yeah. Always yeah. But do you guys in, you know, the 20 plus years that you've been doing this, do you track kind of what averages somebody? Yeah, I do. And so we'll have the attrition, but we're also tracking the patient flow. Like I said, almost all the people we work with will keep their patient flow at least steady or still growing. We don't see crash burn unless yeah. things are done recklessly. The attrition, I, I have to hedge my bets because I don't want to be in a position where a dentist says to me uh, someday at a meeting like Yankee or something goes, Hey, Rossi, thanks for killing my practice. You know, I don't want to, uh, most of my clients are long-term problems. I don't want anyone to get hurt. I'm more conservative and cautious than most doctors. Um, so I'll, I'll basically hedge. Like I'll say, doc, if you have Cigna, and Cigna just wrote you a letter, which probably you doctors around the country, Cigna used to pay some offices pretty good, like a 15, 10% discount. And they're sending letters out right now. Some of the listeners will have certainly gotten it. That says, uh, we take that back. We'll pay you 65% of your fees, not 85. And um, I forgot my point. Um, so when a doctor calls me on that, uh, I say, well, if you, if you lost a third of your Cigna patients, would you be okay? The Anderson effect aside, I mean, the individual patients aside, and they go, oh, no, I, I, I chew my own hand off. I'd be so anxious. Uh, I say, then don't do it. Um, I even sometimes, if I sense a doctor's super nervous about it, I'll say up to half because I don't want to overestimate how many people keep. But the real answer is the attrition is usually smaller than even I think it is. Mm -hmm. If the conditions are right, we're talking maybe 20%. And we're talking 20% over a year period of time, not next month. So if you have a 
PPO, like let's say Cigna is 15% of your patient base and you lose 20% of those patients, that's 3% of your patient base. If you lose 3% of your patient base over a year, you hardly even notice it if you're otherwise healthy. Even if you lost 50% of 15% of your base and base, but it's over two years because, of, because we slow down the process, like I was saying either. That's like three or 4% a year. If you're otherwise healthy, you'll grow over that. But so if you, if you, if 20%, I, even that, I, I try not to tell my clients that because I want to hedge a little, but it's usually under 20%. I just hate to say how much under, because you want to. I like your example, because I think it's important, even if the attrition ends up being quite a bit less with, you know, my clients, I'm just going off of my information I received from those personally that are transitioning their insurance participation and it's been, their attrition has been hardly anything. Um, I know a couple, two different doctors specifically, they could have used a little bit more attrition. They're so busy. Yeah, yeah actually, I've they, had. Yes, they probably could have used a little bit more, but I like your example that you're saying that even if, you know, even if you lost a third or 50% of patients that have this insurance, your income will still be higher because yeah. the change of your uh, and you schedule. have more room for insurance plans. That it's kind of justice. You have more room for the insurance plans that are mm-hmm. paying you better. And patients that don't have insurance, forget about them, that are paying you full fee. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a, so there is a loss. But honestly, because of this post-COVID thing, I've had clients that were, uh, they were saying, I need to get rid of this. I can't even go to lunch at the local diner without people saying, get back in your office. I can't get in there for months and you're having dinner or something. And they're almost like, God, I thought I'd lose more people. And I, so my, my answer that, my, my smart, smart aleck answer that is, if you wanna lose patience, just do the opposite of what I tell you. Okay, fair enough. You know, just, just do the opposite of everything I tell you and you'll succeed in thinning out the patient base pretty dramatically. Well, I was even surprised with one client that's in a pretty, um, I would say low to middle income area. And when they dropped all of their insurance one year, the doctor, the doctors down the street kind of thought there'd be a mass exodus. So they'd receive a ton of patients from, yeah, because they were really just a couple of practitioners nearby. And they said, gosh, we didn't, we, we maybe had 10 phone calls. We kind of thought that there would be more of a yeah. from your office to our office, which, you know, started the conversation for them that, Hey, maybe we should be restricting ourselves because our perception is, is that we're in a low income area. So therefore everybody is demanding to be with an in-network provider. Maybe we should also consider this and strategically yeah. look, if we can change our insurance participation in some regard. You know, that's interesting though. Another way to put that is um, I'll see an office, let's say they drop Delta and I, I have a pretty saturated deal up here. I've got clients, uh, you know, lots of clients around the state. And uh, so I'll a client down the street or 10 miles away that drops Delta and the other client will say, well, I'm getting some refugees from that office. And that freaks them out because they go, well, they're obviously losing patients. I'm getting calls. So I don't ever want to drop that plan because I don't want to have lost patients. And I'll go, well, doc, we knew they were going to lose patients. What you don't see is how many they keep. They keep most of the patients, but you're going to hear from the ones that you lost. And then that the problem is those refugees can scare the next doctor thinking, well, I don't want to do this because I'll lose patients. You go, yeah, you will lose patients, but I wish I could tell you how many the doctor kept. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think that's the, 
more correct way to view that is when you keep number of patients you keep, this goes to my next question is even when you have attrition, you still have an increase in income. And so can you share with us kind of what you've seen as averages of what somebody can expect in increasing? Yeah, I, income? Do keep, I do keep longitude data, but the conditions are so different. It's uh, the best way I can represent is if you're carefully balancing your insurance participation, you're not just going whole hog and dropping the tip. So for example, in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, uh, the average office collects about 78% now gross. So they write off 20, that's kind of the mid range. So for offices that if I see an office that's collecting like 60, I go, I think we can get you all the way up to average, which I'm sorry to say is 80, okay, or something. So, but, but it takes a while, but to make a long story short, usually when we work with a client, Towards the end of that first year in the transition process, their collection percentage for real is increased by five or 10 points. And it can go beyond that. But in a year, as you, if you're easing off, you're easing off and you're adding maybe five or 10 collection points to your real collection percentage, which is your collections divided by your gross production in long term. So for a $100,000 practice, I'm actually understating this, but you can, you'll gain five, 10,000 a month. And that's pure bottom line. You don't have to work harder to do it. Um, it's really significant. Some clients I have gain much, much more. Yes, I would say, I, I mean, I'm only familiar with my marketplace here in Colorado. So that's my only window of comparison. But, you know, when I'm doing a, a practice appraisal, I will often see that the write-offs are anywhere between 20 to 40%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty significant. And the clients now that we've had that are changing their insurance participation, I, I've had very few that have dropped everything. So I don't really know fully what that looks like. But for Me those yeah. that have most of them, I mean, I've had them go from, you know, collecting 1.1 million to 1.5 million a year or go from collecting, you know, around 800,000 to 1 million a year. So it's kind of very depending on factors like you're describing, but it's interesting that even with the attrition they're describing, which hasn't been significant, the changes in income, I would argue, have been very significant yep. in, with my clients here in Colorado. There's practically nothing else you can do that will add more to your income, you know? Yeah. You know, here, I got to state this. Uh, there's another thing. I have to remind doctors of, this all seems so scary, uh, but I'll remind doctors, you know, they'll be really afraid about this and I'll go, well, good. I mean, you want to be realistic, but think of uh, the guts it took when you built a new facility. That's an irreversible decision. And you built a new facility when you bought the practice in the first place, or even when you brought on. So those are all more big plays and they happen all the time, but oh, dropping med life, my God, my patient's life. You know, you've made bigger decisions, doctor. And I haven't had anyone do it yet, but let's say you drop med life and it was a disaster for your practice or the economy changes or we have COVID-19 times 12 or something. You can always call up MetLife and go, hey, I was kidding. Uh, I'd like to jump back on. If you build a building, that's not reversible. If you buy a practice, that's not easily reversible. Um, so that has to be taken into account too, I just have to say. Yes, I think this is a decision that causes someone to pause and have some anxiety. But I do like the message that you're sharing with our viewers, which is, you know, be strategic about it, get some good advice, analyze what's currently happening with your insurance participation, and don't be silly about it. Like make sure to involve your staff, make sure you have good 
a good plan in place for how we're gonna dialogue with patients, how we're gonna overcome challenges as they arise with whatever insurance plan we might be changing. And then I can see that as attrition might happen, we have a plan in place for that. And right. like, sure, it's reversible. So we can change and go back if we really felt like that was disastrous. Uh, I hope that's not the case so far. I haven't seen on the case. I haven't seen it happen yet, but I mean, it's some comfort, you know, to know, but the bottom line is there's few things a doctor can do that will add more to their independence and bottom line. But, you know, everyone knows this. I know this from 40 years of working with dentists. Dentists are generally hard workers and they, it's important to succeed. You got to be a hard worker. You also have to have skills, you know, continuing skills, hand skills, all that. And you have to uh, have, be, have integrity. Those are all, you know, like if you're talking to your sons, hard work, integrity, uh, learn, have skills. But an often forgotten component of success is courage. Think of the courage it took when you first bought a practice or set off to a new town and bought a practice or built a new building. All those things take courage. And, and you a little bit of courage applied to integrity, hard work, and knowledge can really add light to your bottom line, add a lot. But a lot of times they forget, hey, yeah, that's right, when I was young and didn't know any better, I bought a whole practice. Think of that. Yes, yeah, no. You know, I, I, if you know what you knew now, back then you go, God, you don't know enough to buy a practice. You know, you would. Yes, I like that. I, I think courage is a large component, which I agree is the foundation for being able to make these types of successful changes in the practice. And with that, thank you, Bill. We're going to wrap hey. up and we hope that you join us again. Next, we're going to talk about transition issues as it relates to insurance participation. But thank you for joining us, Bill. Real good. Thanks.